sometimes those things kind of take our breath away, and we uh, we wonder what's gonna what's what's going on in the world. Um, I feel like in order to to give the talk I supposed to give this weekend, I kind of need to tell you a little bit what's going on in our family, because our family's had one of those things this week. Um, we took a, a few days last week to go on vacation. We went, uh, the kids were out of school. We went down to southwest Missouri and to northern Arkansas where m- both of my sets of grandparents live. Um, we try to get there up in their upper 80s and we try to get them connected to their great-grandchildren a couple times a year if possible. On the way down, driving down, my wife was saying that she uh, had a toothache and her jaw was hurting, her fa- side of her face was hurting and uh I had trouble sleeping that night. The next morning, it hurt worse and worse and worse, and she couldn't eat, and anyth- anything even touched it. It was terribly painful. And um, so we uh, tried to get into uh, an emergency uh, kind of dentist appointment. Uh, just uh, We finally did get into one, and he uh, checked it out. looks like he said it was like an abscessed, infected tooth, and she needed a root canal and some things like that. Um, and uh, so gave her antibiotics and some other medication. And just by the way, put this in your little mental file. When you're on vacation and you're out of state and you have to have like a weekend after hours dental appointment, it's not cheap. Just put that away and remember it for later. So anyway, um, <coughs> got back from that and, you know, that was a little bit of a, a crowbar in the, sch- in the r- scheme of things. Uh, but then she, she, later that afternoon, uh, she, she gets a call from her mother that her grandmother uh, had passed away suddenly. She lives in Idaho. And so we started making arrangements for her to be able to leave our, our vacation early and fly to Idaho. And so uh, she did that and left on Friday, and we drove back on Friday. And she was supposed to, because of time changes and catching planes and things, was supposed to get in uh, to Idaho uh, about 11.30 at night, their time, 12.30 our time. And then I got a call about 1 o'clock in the morning on Friday night, Saturday morning, um, that her uh, brother and her sister, my wife's brother and sister, and each of them has a seven-year-old son. Um, they were in the car driving from California to Idaho to go to the funeral, which was yesterday, and they were in a very serious car accident. And my wife's brother, my brother-in-law, was s- uh, not too seriously injured. Uh, my sister-in-law was very seriously injured, uh, but not life-threatening, uh, very severely broken legs and things like that. The two seven-year-old boys are in, a very, uh, in critical condition. Both of them uh, broke their backs and um, had some other internal injuries and things. And um, when something like that happens, um, you know, this is obviously still very fresh for our family, you go through a lot of different processing, at least I do. Um, You know, once the initial shock and grief kind of passes a little bit, um, you start to answer, ask some of those questions. Uh, Why? Why would this happen? Um, Some of those kind of meaning and purpose to life questions. You start to realize again something that we take granted very easily that life is very fragile. Uh, it can be over in any moment. Um, you wonder, God, what are you trying to do here? What's going on? But I've noticed something else happened in me as a part of this thing. Something that I did not expect and something I would not have ex- expected. But I found that something has stirred inside of me um, that's been a kind of a reminding uh, for me of why I do what I do. Um, it's made me feel even more privileged to be a part of uh, the leading a community of uh, people like Hope Church. Because a lot of people out there 
in, in our culture, in our community, maybe some of you in here, I think for a lot of people there's a lot of confusion about what our faith is really all about. In America, everybody kind of grows up and exposed to spiritual things and religious things and polls and everything show that most people consider themselves spiritual people. And yet I find when I'm out there and playing golf or at a dinner party somewhere with people or whatever, I find that for the majority of people I talk to, there's a lot of confusion on this subject. They don't really know, really, what Christianity is all about. And maybe if I ask them of you, you know, if I hooked you up to a lie detector somewhere in a closet and I said, uh, could you tell me in a couple sentences, what is Christianity really about? Maybe you would even say, I- I'm not sure that I could answer that question. I can tell you what Christianity is not. Christianity is not a set of rules. This is a very common idea in our culture that there's this kind of list of rules, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And if you hold to them pretty closely, you try to follow them diligently, you're in good with God. But if you mess it up a little bit, then you're in trouble with God. And a lot of people in our culture kind of believe this is what our faith is really all about. It's kind of the the good people go to heaven theory. And so many people kind of have that as their mindset. It's true that there are some guidelines to our faith. But fundamentally, at its essence, Christianity is not a set of rules. Also, Christianity is not a list of sacraments or rituals or ceremonies. Again, I run into a lot of people. This is kind of what they think. If you said, explain Christianity, they'd say, well, I, I you know, went to this class or I had this spiritual event happen when I was a baby or when I was 12 or whatever. I went through this hoop or that hoop, jumped through this thing or that thing. It's about rituals and, and ceremonies and sacraments. And if I've done the right things in the right order, part of the tradition that I grew up in, then I'm in good shape. But fundamentally, Christianity at its essence is not about sacraments or rituals or ceremonies. There are some things associated with our faith, absolutely, but they're, they're secondary. They're pictures. They're metaphors. They're not the essence. Christianity is not a fanatical lifestyle, as you can see. Again, this actually, this, there's some confusion on this. I talk to people who think that, you know, if you're, to kind of be a Christian, to be a church person, what that means is that, you know, I have to like give everything I have away or I have to become a monk or live this celibate life or stand on the street corner and, you know, preach at people or go door to door in my neighborhood and act like a, you know, a weirdo or something. That's not what Christianity is about at all. What is Christianity really? At its essence, what is it? At its essence, Christianity is a relationship with the living God made possible by the empty tomb of Christ. That's what we're here celebrating today. That's what Easter is all about. Fundamentally, Christianity is a relationship, a two-way conversation between us and the God of the universe. It's, it's an awareness throughout our day that God is there with us and that he will lead us and guide us and he will actually even speak to us in our hearts And he will partner with us in doing life, with parenting and careers, not just the spiritual stuff, but doing life in general. And that through this relationship, we can have hope and we can have meaning, we can have purpose, even in, in fact, especially in the horrible stuff of life that faces us. Because you know what? It will face every single one of us. Not one of us is immune. See, I don't think this is widely known in our culture. 
In the New Testament, Jesus was running around with crowds very much like us. People who didn't quite get what faith was all about. They were caught up in thinking that faith was about a list of rules or ceremonies or rituals or sacraments or kind of this you know, radical kind of lifestyle. And Jesus was constantly trying to help them see what the faith was really about, that it was about a relationship. And he was always trying to give them pictures that would characterize what this relationship would look like. And in Luke chapter 13, uh, which by the way, if, you, if you're kind of new to faith or you're coming back, I would really encourage you if you're kind of wanting to get to know Christianity a little better, just start with the book of Luke. It's a great book. You can read a chapter a day and it gives you a great picture of Jesus. But in Luke chapter 13, we see a series of these pictures that Jesus is trying to use to communicate to people in that day, just like in our day, who don't seem to get what faith is really all about. And I want us to look kind of at, at these, uh, these, these two pictures, starting in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. And the first thing I want you to think about is the image of rope. And I want you to think about this question. If I were to ask you, honestly, again, if you had to be totally honest and you had to tell the truth, if I were to ask you, when you think of Christianity, do you fundamentally think of it as being something restrictive, something that kind of ties you up, that binds you, it's all these rules, it's, all these, it's like a straight jacket you can barely breathe, is that what faith is really all about? Or... Is Christianity something that's liberating? Is it restrictive or is it liberating? Look at verse, uh, 10, or verse 10 of chapter 13. One Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. So you picture a large gathering like this. He's uh, some introductory things that happen, and then he's invited to come up and speak. So he walks to the front. Verse 11, he saw a seriously handicapped woman who had been bent over, bent double for 18 years and was unable to straighten herself. So he gets up there and he looks at this crowd and he sees this woman who has this handicap. And you need to know kind of something about Jesus. Jesus always had this radar for people and their needs. He would see, he'd get up in a crowd, no matter how big the crowd was, and he would identify the needs there, whether physical, emotional, spiritual. And if he were here, instead of me, and he were standing in front of you, he would not be fooled by all your nice Easter outfits. And you guys look nice, so I'll give you that. I'm wearing even a tie, which is amazing. Um, but he's not be fooled by any of that stuff. He would look deep inside every single one of us, and he would see where we're hurting, see where our pain is. Verse 12, calling her over to him, Jesus said, Woman, you are healed of your sickness. He touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised and thanks, thanked God. So you can imagine the scene. I mean, it's like she, everybody there has known she's been, had this handicap for 18 years. All of a sudden she's healed. It's this amazing event. You know, all her family and friends are cheering. They're excited about it. And yet there's this mixed reaction. There's some people who are angry. Why would that be? Verse 14. But the local Jewish leader in charge of the synagogue was very angry about it because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week to work, he shouted to the crowd. Those are the days to come for healing, not on the Sabbath. She, he's, there, he's saying, look, I know what faith is all about. Faith is about these rules. It's about the sacraments. It's about the ceremonies. It's about these principles. And that's what faith is about. That's what spirituality is about. And this guy's violating them. And so he, we should discredit him and not listen to him because it's about this stuff. Jesus goes, no, that's not what it's about at all. Verse 15, but the Lord replied, you hypocrite, you work on the Sabbath. Don't you untie your cattle from their stalls on the Sabbath and lead them out for water? And is it wrong for me just because it is the Sabbath day to free this Jewish woman from the bondage in which Satan has held her for 18 years? He says, look, you, you guys all have animals tied up at the house. I mean, that's normal in that culture. You got donkeys and you got horses. And in the summertime when the heat is oppressive in the middle of the day and you walk by and you see one of your animals is in distress, they're sweating, they're panting, you take that rope and you untie the animal. You set it free so that it can walk down and get something to drink. And what you do for animals, 
which you should on the Sabbath, even on the Sabbath, I set human beings free from all the things inside them that have bound them up and tied them up. Things like guilt and shame, anxiety, resentment, greed, lust, addictions, fear. It's one of the main things I do, Jesus says. I invite you into a relationship with me where you can get all that stuff inside of you untied. I set people free. True confession, in my younger days, uh, if you were to ask me, do I find Christianity restrictive, something that binds me up, or something that is freeing? I would have said, I think it's restrictive. In my heart of hearts, I thought it was a lot about rules and regulations, and there were way too many thou shalt nots and a lot of thou shalts, and I had to keep track of all those things. And I had these friends that were living these unrestricted lives, and here I was sitting in church every weekend in some pew listening to some guy drone on, like some of you are doing right now, thinking, what in the world am I doing here? And all my friends were outside having fun and partying and having a good time. But over the years, I began to realize there's a price to pay for unrestricted living. I noticed with some of my friends that unrestricted living led to a kind of enslavement, a kind of a binding up. I had friends who you know, liked to do the partying thing a lot, and, um, but over time, several of them got addicted to the substances associated with partying, and they couldn't stop partying. One of my best friends from high school literally had to be rescued from another country because his life was a downward spiral. And I had friends that set their life on you know, uncon- unrestricted earning and money and stuff and acquiring things. And they became workaholics and neglected their families and their kids and they've been through a couple marriages. And I had friends who their life was about unrestricted pleasure. But that affair, the addiction to pornography has taken its toll. I had friends whose life was about just unrestricted spending. But mountains of debt have destroyed their lives. I remember the words of Jesus. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus said, I came to invite you into a relationship. To free you up from all the stuff that ties you up. This is not widely known. But Christianity is not about rules. It's about about a relationship. And one of the things that characterizes that relationship is the gift of freedom. Let me ask you, what power is out there that can untie some of the internal knots that you have in your life? Because we all have them. I was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days. The person who ran into uh, my brother-in-law and sister and my nephews uh, was a drunk driver. And I was thinking about this quite a bit, actually. Uh, I was thinking, left to myself, in my heart, in my ways, in my way of thinking, If it were my children laying up in a hospital, maybe not able to ever walk again, suffering through the surgeries and all the things they're going through, I would be a bitter, angry person toward that individual till my death. And yet, and my wife and I have talked about this several times on the phone, she and I independently have had this burden on our hearts for this guy, that he has an opportunity 
to understand that he's forgiven and that God, God's grace covers over everything. And that we have this burden to reach out to him and share God's love with him and try to connect with him and uh, help him understand that he's no worse than anybody else. But there is no way, no way I would feel that way if it wasn't for the power of God in my life over time, untying some of those knots and freeing me up to be a person that can extend forgiveness and grace even when maybe it's not deserved because I've felt it myself when I haven't deserved it. Christianity is not about rules. It's about freedom. And again, there are guidelines. But if you think about it, the guidelines are not about rule keeping. They're about keeping us from hurting ourselves or keeping us from harming other people or keeping us from squandering our one and only life. And in that sense, they're not, they're, it's a good thing to have guidelines, guardrails on the road of life. But again, I think there's a lot of confusion on this issue. A lot of people think Christianity is a straitjacket. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's about freedom. It's about untying the things that tie us up in our souls. He gives another picture in verse 18. He says, now he began teaching them about the kingdom of God. And he says, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? He's like, you guys, you know, you just don't get it. You're thinking about rules and all this other stuff. Uh, It's like a tiny mustard seed planted in a garden. Soon it grows into a tall bush and the birds live among its branches. The second characteristic of uh, this relationship with Christ is an opportunity of spiritual potential. The idea of mustard seeds was a very common thing in their culture, very common in their vernacular. They used that image a lot as a metaphor. And they described something very, very small that could grow into something much, much larger. It, it was used all the time to describe something that, if it's very tiny, but if it, you cultivate it in the right way, you plant it in the right environment, that it could grow into something very large and very vibrant. This actually is a little jar of mustard seeds. They're very tiny. I don't know if you can tell how tiny they are, but they're teeny. It would be impossible even to just to pick up one. You can pick up several of them. Uh, and just to illustrate how small they are, I have a little exercise for you. I want you to lean over to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them how many mustard seeds you think there are in this little jar. Can you do that for me? Go ahead and just lean over and tell them how many there are in this little jar. There are... 13,506 mustard seeds in this jar. I kid you not. Some poor Hope staff person counted every single one of these this week. And Jesus is saying, look, these things are, they are tiny, but in the right environment. It planted in the right way, put in the water in the right way, fed in the right way. It can grow into something much, much larger, something that has a purpose that can, birds can land there and give shade. Some of you botany experts are thinking, is that really a mustard tree? No, it's not. Just give me a break. We tried to get a mustard tree, and they had to, like, fly them in from the other part of the world or something. It costs a lot of money, and I'm cheap. So I, but that is, uh, like, you just have to use your imagination to pretend it's a mustard tree. I think it's actually like a chunk of a willow tree. But just go with me on this. Um, the point is that some of you grew up thinking, I'd like to have a growing vibrant spiritual life, but it's just not in me. I've made too many mistakes. I'm too old. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I'm that interested to kind of do, I don't want to follow the rules or whatever is required. Uh, I don't know enough Bible stuff. The, you know, the seed in me just seems too small. 
And Jesus is saying, look, this, this isn't widely known. There's a lot of confusion about this. But I invite people into a relationship. And one of the things that characterizes that relationship is spiritual potential. That I'll take whatever it is in you, however small, anyone and everyone has something. And if you're willing, I can grow that thing into a vibrant and alive spiritual life. See, Jesus found in his day that there were a lot of people that did not believe they had that in themselves. And I find the same is true today. I have a guy in my life that is close to me um, that if you knew his story, you kind of understand that he feels this way about himself. He grew up uh, with this desire, he wouldn't have used these words, but this desire to have a vibrant, alive spiritual journey. When he was a little boy, even though his family really didn't have a priority for church or religious life, he would get up on his own, on his bicycle, seven, eight, nine years old, on the weekends, and he would ride his bike more than a mile to church by himself. But when he got older, high school, kind of drifted away, college, you know, did the college thing, and then he started his career. And he's been a very highly successful business person his whole life. And here's what I think he thinks about himself. He thinks, I'm a commerce machine. I, I'm now good at pumping out work, and I've been successful, and I make a lot of money for the company I'm a part of. But the other side of it is I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I look back, and there's some things I'm not proud of. And he always looks at me and he always says to me, you know, what you do is important. I don't, I don't do anything important. What you do is important. And because I think what he thinks in his mind is because you get to think about all these high spiritual things and, and you get to help people and you get to, you know, study the Bible and teach from the Bible. And I, I, all I do is make money for people. That's it. In fact, I invited him on our Holy Land tour that our church is taking this fall. And he said, I don't want to go to the Holy Land. The moment I step into the Holy Land, it will cease to be holy. That's what he said. He's one of those people, and there are a lot of people out there that consider themselves kind of permanently religiously challenged. They're saying, the seed in my life, it's just too small to ever be much. And there's a lot of people that feel that way, and maybe you feel that way. Again, this is not widely known. I think there's a lot of confusion on this. But Christianity is not about rules and rituals and sacraments. It's characterized by the gift of freedom and the opportunity of spiritual potential. And you have that in you. No matter where you've been, what you've done, how, what you know, little know, a lot don't know about the Bible, how you feel like you've blown it, it doesn't matter. You may even feel like there's a large part of me that doesn't even want to grow. If you have a little bit, just a seed, you can have a vibrant, growing spiritual life. But you've got to do something with that seed. See, the seed has to be planted in the right environment. It has to be watered. It has to be fed. In order for it to grow and be something that's flourishing. And, and if you do that, if you plant yourself in a church, in a small group, in a men's group, in a women's group, where it can be watered and grown and, and, and fed, um, you will grow. You are not the exception to the mustard seed rule. You will grow spiritually. And God will do things in your life and your heart that you didn't even think was possible. So I have a little mustard seed challenge for you this Easter. I looked at my calendar. There are eight weeks between now and Father's Day. I encourage you, if you're here and you're, maybe you're here under coercion just to get somebody off your back, I, en- I encourage you to take eight weeks, not the end of the world. At the end of eight weeks, you know, you back away. One hour a week to come to one of the weekend services for the next eight weeks, Saturday or Sunday morning. Go through the Da Vinci Code series or the series after that, whatever. And see if God does not start to do something with the seed in your life. Maybe you would say, I kind of do that already, but that's about all I do. I kind of show up periodically, and, and so I'm not necessarily a seed, but I'm kind of a little scrub brush. It really doesn't feel very vibrant. Maybe it's time for you to take the next step and plant yourself 
in a small group or a men's group or a women's group, a, a serving opportunity where you can stretch and grow in different ways. You will grow beyond what you imagine is possible. And you'll find it very nourishing to your soul. Third picture Jesus gives in chapter 13 of Luke is in verse 22. He went from city to city and village to village, teaching as he went, always pressing onward toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, will only a few be saved? The third image I want to give you is the image of a door. See, I think at times people think that Christianity is about exclusivism, about keeping people out, you know, who's in and who's out. See, this guy approaches Jesus, and he asks Jesus this question, um, will only a few be saved? And I think you have to understand the spirit of the question. I think he's asking, kind of like some of us did when we were in high school, and we were thinking about applying for a college, and we thought to ourselves, you know, I'd like to go to, to Harvard or, you know, Yale or USC or Stanford or something like that, but I don't know if I have the grades, I don't know if they have the SAT scores, and so we ask our guidance counselor, is it even worth me applying or is it just a wa- will it be a waste of time? Or do I have no chance of getting in? I think that's the spirit of this question. I think this guy is coming to Jesus and saying, look, I'd really love to have a spiritual life. I'd love to get connected to God. I'd love to go to heaven someday. But is it even worth it? I've made mistakes. I've blown it. I've screwed up. I've done, you know, is it even worth getting my hopes up? Is there any chance at all that I have what it takes to be with God? And Jesus says, you don't understand. See, God wants, God desires everyone to be in relationship with him. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. And eat with me, I'll have connection, I'll, I'll have communion with him. I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking, I'm pounding, I'm pleading. I want to come in, God says. If you don't get anything else in this message, I hope you get this. This picture that, God, that Jesus is saying, look, it's, he's given us the control. It's, God is saying, it's not me in control. I'm not keeping people out who want to get in. Instead, you and I are in control, and we're keeping out God who wants to come into our life. God does not get some kind of perverse delight standing up there and saying, you're out, and you've blown it, and you're disqualified, and you screwed up too bad. Jesus said, look, this is not widely known. And there's a lot of confusion about this. Christianity is not about rules, not about sacraments, not about this kind of radical lifestyle. It's about a relationship with the God of the universe, characterized by the gift of freedom and the opportunity of spiritual potential, and then the love of a loving parent. Jesus is saying, God is not about keeping people out. The door of the kingdom of heaven is wide open. And he's like a father who's looking on everyone as his children. And it breaks his heart that he's knocking at the door and some won't open it. That's why he sent the thing that was most precious to him, his son, so that everyone, every place, in every every time, every culture, every race, gender, age, no matter where they've been, what they've done, what mistakes they've made, what failures they've had, what kind of, you know, religiosity they have in their background, what, what scandals, what secrets, that everyone, no matter what they've been through, is welcome. I've been thinking about this a lot also the last 48 hours. Uh, Just with what's happened with my nephews, you can't help but think about your own children and something like that. And obviously I care deeply for them, but I have obviously a a special connection with my kids. And I think about my feelings as a parent. Uh, We've been blessed that our kids have had relatively minor things happen to them, maybe a few stitches, a couple of trips to the emergency room, but nothing major. But even in those moments... In those times of turmoil and stress, as a parent, I would do anything possible to trade places so that I could hurt and they wouldn't. 
And I think to myself about my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law watching their two seven-year-old boys in the hospital struggling through tests and surgeries. And, and I think to myself, if I was them and I was in their shoes, I would do anything. I would turn over any, every stone. I would mortgage the house. I would take on three jobs. I would move. I would travel the world. I would do whatever it takes to get them what they needed because I love them that much. And, my, and I'm far from a perfect parent. But because I love them so deeply, I would do anything, anything for them. And Jesus says, this is not widely known. There's a lot of confusion about this. But you need to know that when God looks at the world, he looks at the world as a father looks at his children. And he sees a world full of broken, hurting, wounded people. And his heart breaks for them. And they see, he sees that they need his healing touch. And he says, I will do whatever it takes, whatever I have to do. I will leave, leave no stone uncovered. I will go to the ends of the earth to try to let each one of them know how much I love them. And his love is perfect. God is not up in heaven trying to keep people out. If you've drifted away from God, maybe you've never been very close to him in your life, you need to know that God has the heart of a loving father. And he looks down on us as his children. And he desperately wants us to understand and experience his love and be in relationship with him for this life and for eternity. And as urgently as I or you would do whatever it takes for our children if they were in crisis and then they were hurting. In the same way, God has urgently calling out your name. And God will not give up on you. Too big a price has been t paid. Too much blood has been shed. He desperately wants you to know how much love he has for you. And so he is knocking at the door of our hearts. So the question for us this Easter is, will we open the door of our heart to that love? When we open the door of our heart to God, he doesn't come in with shame and with guilt and with I told you so's. Just the love of a desperate father wanting to connect with his child. That's the message of Easter this year. I think there's a lot of confusion about this. I don't think it's widely known. But now you know enough. That Christianity is not about rules. It's not about rituals and sacraments. It's not about some fanatical lifestyle. It's about a relationship with the God of the universe made possible by the empty tomb of Christ. And it's a relationship that's characterized by the gift of freedom that God wants to help untie all those knots that every single one of us has inside of us. And it's a relationship of spiritual potential that no matter how little that seed is in our life, he can grow in it something great and wonderful. And it's a relationship of a loving father who says, I'm pleading to come through that door and express my love to you. Will we open the door to our, of our hearts to his love? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, Easter and a chance to celebrate and remember and I come to this Easter uh, obviously burdened by a lot of things going on in my family. And truth be told, a lot of us in this room have come to this Easter with burdens. A marriage burden, um, a singleness burden, a career burden, uh, a debt burden, a secret addiction burden, um, a, a past that we're ashamed of. We're like the lady in the drama, bringing all this baggage, saying, I don't know what to do with it. And 
and truth be told, a lot of us here have been confused about what Christianity is all about. We thought it was a rule. We thought it was restrictive. We thought it was about kind of religious hoops and drills we had to run through. Help it to break through to our hearts this morning that uh, it's not about those things at all. But it's about the relationship with you. And it's a relationship that can provide freedom to all those ways we get tangled up in life. It's a relationship that provides spiritual potential that we can grow in ways that beyond we even imagine. And it's a relationship that is based on the love of a loving Father desperate for us to understand and experience and live in that love. God, I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the empty tomb that makes all of this possible. And God, for those of us who have been for a while, I ask that we would um, that we would be passionate about carrying this message to others. That we would we would seek out those who don't know how much you love them, and we would help them see uh, and experience your grace and your love in a real way. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.